Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We're reading through the New Testament portion of the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is November 4th, and our reading comes from Hebrews chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, he says this, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. You remember yesterday? He said we don't want to remain babies, infants in our faith. We want to grow up and reach maturity. We want our lives to reflect Christ in our world. He goes on to say, surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead in eternal life. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. So what is it that Paul is saying is part of the Old Testament or baby immature faith. Well, he mentions these five things. Number one, repenting. And throughout the Old Testament, the prophets and others called the nation of Israel, called the Jewish people to repent, to turn back to God, to turn away from idols, to turn away from the world, and to turn to God in true worship. So the same thing is true, of course, in the New Testament, but we want to move beyond just repentance. Secondly, placing our faith in God. The Old Testament, it all began by faith. You remember when God established his covenant with Abraham? He believed God, he had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But we want to move beyond that because in the New Testament, it's not just a generic belief or faith in God. It's faith specifically in what God has done through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he mentions baptisms. Well, this doesn't refer to New Testament believers' baptism. This refers to the Old Testament ceremonial washings. We want to move beyond cleaning the exterior and allowing God to transform the interior. Then the laying on of hands. That's not uh, laying on of hands in order to authorize or to ordain men for ministry or anything like that. This is a reference to the Old Testament where the priest would lay hands on the sacrificial lamb, right? And so he's transferring the sins of the people to the sacrifice. But in the New Testament, we've moved beyond that. Our sin has gone to Jesus who died on the cross to pay for our sin. And then finally, the resurrection of the dead. And the resurrection of the dead, even in the Old Testament, is mentioned in places like Job 19 and Psalm 17, 15, Isaiah 53, just to mean mention a few. But in the New Testament, it has really been revealed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You may remember in the Gospels, often the Pharisees and Sadducees are are wrestling, debating over whether the resurrection of the dead is a real thing. Well, after the resurrection of Christ, then obviously that is settled. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying here is we need to move on into maturity and not just stay on these basic principles. Now, let's move on to the next section. Verse 4, he says, it's impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once 
enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting who have rejected the son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. Now this passage has been a passage that has been debated, one of the most hotly debated passages in all the New Testament for thousands of years. And the idea is, does this mean people can get saved, and then if they turn their back on Jesus, they not only lose their salvation, but they can never be saved? Well, the truth is, I'm not sure that's exactly what the passage is about. Here's what I think is probably a better understanding of what this passage means. He says, for it's impossible to bring back to repentance those who have been enlightened. So before we came to Christ, the Holy Spirit began opening our eyes to spiritual reality. We could see right and wrong. We could see the truth and the lie. We began to understand the gospel. The Holy Spirit began to enlighten us, which is a precursor to salvation. It's what began opening our heart and mind to the possibility of giving our life to Jesus. Then he says, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit is working in pre-conversion to help us see our need for Jesus. Verse five, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. So they've heard the gospel message. So some people, the Holy Spirit's worked in their hearts, and then somebody faithfully told them the gospel, the good news, what Jesus had done for them. Then he said, they have experienced the power of the age to come. So they've seen miracles. And when you think about, again, the life and ministry of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is working The word of God is being preached. They see the miracles, especially the resurrection of Christ, and they still turned away from God. And what he's saying is, when this is true, and if people reject what they know is true, they're really without hope. Again, you see Paul basically saying the same thing. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, if you want to go back after the podcast and read it, where Paul says they reject what they know is true, and God releases them. God gives them over. God turns them over. Their minds are darkened. They're overwhelmed by sexual immorality and lust, and their life is full of rage and hate. And you see that throughout that chapter. So what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that when the Holy Spirit is working on people and they hear the gospel and they experience the supernatural and yet they still reject the Messiah, then they really only have themselves to blame and their their soul is in real jeopardy. In fact, let me read this little statement. The enormous guilt of apostasy which is turning away from faith, is indicated in the words, since they crucify again themselves, the Son of God, and put him to open shame. This signifies a deliberate, malicious spurning of Christ, rejecting of Christ, not just a careless disregard. It indicates a positive betrayal of him, joining forces against him, and a ridiculing of his person and work. And if we do that, 
man, our soul is in jeopardy. And then he goes on to say, beginning in verse 7, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it's useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field. But dear friends, even though we've talked this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We're confident you were meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He'll not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not be spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you'll follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promise because of their faith and example. In other words, what Paul says, the greatest assurance that our faith is genuine and secure is our capacity to grow in our love for God and others. And that's the great evidence, right? As I grow in my love for God, in my love for other people, that's the great evidence that what God has planted and started in me is coming to maturity. And it builds my faith and my hope that my faith is sincere and my eternity is secure. Let me share this last little bit. Verse 13, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you. I'll multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. So the final word is we have to be patient. That what God has promised us will come to pass in time. But like Abraham, God made him a promise. And Isaac wasn't born for 25 years. And then it was after his death that the promise that his descendants would become a great nation and be a blessing to the whole world was fulfilled. But Abraham held on to that promise. He believed in faith. It was counted to him as righteousness. And God wants us to do the same thing. It's simply to hang on to his promises, to believe by faith that everything he says he does, and we can rest in his faithfulness. Now, let me highlight one other thing. What is it in the New Testament? So he began this passage by saying we want to move on from these elementary principles, and we want to move on to maturity. What is different in the New Testament that we can be thinking about and moving towards. Let me give you two ideas. Number one is that in the New Testament, we're trying to be, not just do. This is so important. Religion is about what you do. Christianity following Jesus is about who we become. Religion is about managing my behavior. New Testament faith following Jesus is about allowing God to transform my heart, which then is reflected in my behavior. So I'm becoming, I'm not just doing. That's a key difference. And then in addition to that, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is present to give us the will, the desire to follow and obey Jesus, and to give us the power to follow through. 
Boy, what a great promise, right? The Holy Spirit. So our Christian life, moving on to maturity, is not growing in knowledge. Not that knowledge is bad, and certainly knowing the truth is empowering to us. It sets us free, Jesus said. But moving on to maturity is growing in our capacity. And this is what we're talking about. This is what we're trying to help you learn to do through this podcast. It's growing our capacity to begin our day and to live our day in the presence of God. It's growing in our capacity to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's growing in our capacity to invite Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit, to invite the Word of God, to penetrate our hearts and minds, to build our faith, to heal us, to establish our identity, to build our character, to transform our lives. That is a Christian life. So we're growing. All of that allows us to grow in our capacity to love God and to love each other, which transforms our world. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this word. And I pray for every person listening. God, the reason they're listening to this podcast is they want to move beyond the elementary principles of religion and faith and move on to maturity, where they are walking with you, following Jesus. We're all trying to grow in our capacity to be with Jesus so we can become more like Jesus And we can do what Jesus did in every area of our lives. So God, increase our capacity. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with me today. Hope that encourages you. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We'll see you again tomorrow.